Well, would you please take the Word of God and turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And we'll begin reading in just a moment. In Acts chapter 6. As we come to the Word of God, it is important to realize that our ideas of what a church should be has often been molded by our environment. Uh, Depending on how we grew up and the type of church we grew up, often our ideas about the church and about what the church should be is molded by that environment. As we come to the Word of God and we study through the book of Acts, we find a clear picture of the first century church. In other words, there is not really any doubt as to what the church is to look like in the 21st century. All we must do is look to the first century and to the record that is given to us to be able to determine what we should be doing today. I hope that there is a sincere desire in all of us to be part of a first century church in the 21st century. And in Acts chapter 6, we um, come to, um, as I mentioned, a second internal conflict within the church. It is evident as we've studied in the first five chapters that there is the outside conflict, the persecution from those who were unbelievers, those who rejected Christ, those who were outside the church, and what we've learned as those who may claim in the 21st century that, oh, look, we're 21st century now, we don't have to look to the Bible, and this is old, it's outdated now, we know more, we've learned some things, and the truth is, unbelief is as old as the gospel. There's nothing new in the 21st century, and those who are unbelievers are just as those who were unbelievers in the first century. There's not only the problem from outside the church, but what we have observed also is the problem from within the church. And I think that if we are not careful, we may look at the outside of the church and the threats from the outside of the church and simply be concerned with that, but there ought to be a great concern for the problems that can arise from within the church. And the Bible shows us just that in Acts chapter 6. Let's begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I mentioned last week that uh, we placed an emphasis on the ministry of the Word as it is mentioned at the end of verse 4, and how that is the priority of the church. In other words, if a church is truly supposed to be a, a first century church in the 21st century, the priority of that church must be the ministry of the Word. That's what Paul instructed his son in the faith, Timothy, who pastored at Ephesus when he says, Preach the word. 
Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, there's going to come a time when those who are part of a church will draw away from the Word of God and they will begin to preach and teach to people uh, to tell them what they want to hear and not what they need to hear. And in Acts chapter 6, we find that the first century church gave a priority to the ministry of the Word, to the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. As a matter of fact, so much so that the Bible told us, notice in chapter 5, verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That was the activity of the church. They taught and they preached Jesus Christ, the number one activity of the New Testament church. But there's something that I missed. Verse 4, the Bible says, But we will give ourselves continually to, what's that word? Prayer. And to the ministry of the Word. So I placed an emphasis on the ministry of the Word, but I want to place an emphasis this morning on prayer. I neglected that last week. And therefore, I want to preach a message that I've entitled this morning with the help of the Lord, Our Great Failure. I'm talking about the church. Our Great Failure. I want to begin with asking those questions today. Why did the apostles pray? Uh, Why did they include prayer with the ministry of the Word? Uh, Why did they mention here prayer before the ministry of the Word? And why did they give so much prominence to prayer? You see, the apostles, it is clear, made much of prayer because they recognized two things. First of all, they recognized their impotence, their inability, and also at the same time, they recognized their great need for the power of God. Uh, They had already been labeled, remember back in chapter 4, unlearned and ignorant men. They had no special power in and of themselves. They recognized that there was only one hope, and that was that they should be filled with the power of God. This is why I believe they gave themselves continually to prayer. Now you remember here, let me remind us here of Acts chapter 6, we identified in the very first verse, the problem in the church. Remember the problem was that there was a murmuring between the Grecians and the Hebrews. And if you remember, the Grecians were people who lived outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, Jews who were dispersed around other countries who came back for the Feast of Pentecost and many of them in their own language who were mostly speaking Greek, came back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, as many Jews would come back during the year, and they came back, and many of them were converted, and now they're all attending the church, and then there's the Hebrews. The Hebrews were people who were Jews, but who were dwelling in Jerusalem and in Judea. And so the church makeup, when you first find that the gospel is preached in Acts chapter 2, was made up of all Jews, basically, 
Jews who were outside of Judea and Jerusalem, and Jews who were from Judea and Jerusalem. And you find that there's a conflict. There's a division because there's a murmuring between the Grecians and the Hebrews. Now, we know very well that wherever you find people, you will find struggles. Isn't that the truth? Uh, That because of human nature, wherever you find two people, there is going to be some disagreement at some time. And what we find here is a natural division taking place between those who spoke mainly Greek in the church and those who spoke the Hebrew language within the church. And the Grecians thought to themselves that their widows were being either overlooked or discounted by the church leadership. And there arises this problem that can divide the church. Now, guess what? We're going to study in later weeks how the apostles solved that problem. But that is the potential problem. By the way, that could have split that church. We hear of churches splitting all the time. It is not something that is foreign to us. We know it can happen. And it could have happened right there in Acts chapter 6, but it didn't. And so we notice the problem with the church, but then we also consider the potential in the church. And here is the great struggle today in 21st century. What is the church supposed to look like? What is supposed to be the activity of the church? And often now we find that around us, churches have given themselves to some social cause, uh, to give themselves to some agenda that is outside of the Bible's agenda. And the potential, notice what they say in verse 2, when the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, they said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So here's the potential for the church. They could stop doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that is what? Preach the word. Preach and teach the word. Remember, we left chapter 5, the last verse of chapter 5, saying that's what they were doing daily. They were preaching and teaching Jesus Christ daily. That was the activity of the church. And here arises a problem that can distract the church, uh, that is a potential distraction where the Word of God can be sidelined. Now, there are many things that we can do as a church that I believe will glorify God, but there's nothing like the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. And I believe today, in the 21st century, many churches have forsaken the, the they've, uh, fall, they've followed some vain cause to do something else outside of teaching and preaching the Word of God. And I say to us, that is what the first century, first century church looked like. They said, this is not a good reason for us to leave the Word of God. Now, they did not stop providing for the widows. They just delegated it to other people. But they would never forsake the Word of God. So that was the, we see the problem, the potential. But then thirdly, and I gave an illustration. There's this church, they conducted a survey, and uh, this church uh, is a pretty large church with thousands of members, and their praise and worship time goes on for a long time in the service, and then uh, the uh, preaching and the teaching was about a, a 20-minute little thing, little ditty, uh, where they would kind of teach and preach the Word of God. And then they, they put out a survey because the praise team wanted to add a skit to the church service. And so they took a survey among the church, and they said, okay, what do you want to do? you want to cut the worship time? Do you want to cut the teaching and the preaching time? Or do you want to add time to the church service? And the church overwhelmingly voted to cut time from the preaching time. That's a problem. As a matter of fact, 
We can eliminate everything else we do in the church service and just teach and preach the Word of God and we can still have church. That's what we find in the church in the first century church. And so we see that they uh, determine and they give the priority. So we see the problem, the potential, but also the priority. He says, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. I want to remind us, as we look at Acts chapter 1, and we've worked our way now through Acts chapter 6, I want us to go back to Matthew 16. You remember what Jesus said to His disciples, to Peter? He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, I will build my church. And so when we read in the book of Acts, what is happening? Jesus Christ is building His church. That's what He is doing. And how is he doing that? We've read that in the first five chapters. By the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. As a matter of fact, we find that is all that they did. And so I say, what has happened to the church? We must get back to the Word of God. Uh, We must get back to this priority. And I mentioned the ministry of the Word, but I neglected to point out in verse 4 where the Bible says we must give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so I want to preach a little while this morning on our great failure or the great failure of the 21st century churches. I want to go back to chapter 1 of the book of Acts and work our way all the way to chapter 6 and point out some truths as to why prayer was a priority for the church. I want to go back, if you would, to chapter 1, and we're going to work our way. Don't worry, this is going to be about nine points, but I'm going to go through it very quickly. Maybe. All right, we'll see. I want you to notice in the first chapter, remember, the disciples were told to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost would come down, and the sign in Jerusalem that were prophesied by Joel would happen in Acts chapter number 2. And so they were told to wait, but notice in chapter 1 what the church was doing while they were waiting for Pentecost to come. Verse 14 of chapter 1, these all, so how many in the church? All of them, these all continued with one accord, that means of one mind, uh, united together in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the brethren. The first point I would like to make as to why prayer is so important in the church is, first of all, because prayer is the cord that binds the church in unity. Prayer is the cord that binds the church together in unity. When we look at the first century church, as they were waiting for this promise, Jesus Christ made it clear. He says, don't go out until you see the promise of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost would come back, come down in chapter 2. But we find here that uh, the Bible says they were of one accord. They were of one mind. And throughout the book of Acts, you find that repeated. They were in one accord. They were of one mind. Throughout the New Testament epistles, Paul writes to the church. He says, I want you to be of one mind, of one accord. It's repeated throughout. But what does that in the life of the church? It is prayer. Uh, We have a little banner in our house. The family that prays together stays together. And I say to us that the church that prays together stays together. 
But I'd venture to say you go to the average church today, they don't even have a prayer meeting anymore. They don't meet and pray as a congregation said, this is what we are all corporately going to do together. That's what you see in the first century church. You see, prayer is the cord that binds the church together. Now remember, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And as they were praying, before the Holy Ghost came down, they were praying together, and Jesus Christ built His church upon the prayer meeting of the first century Christians. You see, He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, what does the devil want to do? If the church is united by the cords of prayer, what is the devil trying to do? He is trying to divide the church. You see, prayer is the cord that binds the church in unity while the devil wants to divide the church. Secondly, as we look in chapter 1 and just read our portion, prayer is the submission of believers to Christ's work. Prayer is the submission of believers to Christ's work. You see, in Acts chapter 1, we read that they were waiting for the promise of uh, His coming. We find in chapter 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now the one accord, we've already read that, they've been praying. And then suddenly we find that the Holy Ghost comes down and we know they spake with unknown tongues and all the people heard in their own language the wonderful works of God and a mighty work takes place on the day of Pentecost. But again, prayer, them meeting together and praying together demonstrates their submission of believers to the work of Christ. And the first thing that Peter does on the day of Pentecost is what did he do? He preached. You see, what you don't find in chapter 1 is the Lord Jesus Christ ascending into heaven and then the believers coming together and having a round table and say, okay, so how are we going to do this? Let's have a debate. Let's discuss. Let's take a vote. Uh, Let's uh, ask ourselves, what is supposed to be the activity of the church? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 He says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What is the work of the church? It is for the church to be a witness in a world. That is the work of the church. And so when the church is praying, not having a debate, not having a round table, but praying, they say, God, would you come down so that we can do your work? That's what they wanted to do. And so prayer is the submission of believers to Christ's work. Thirdly, and by the way, you know what the devil wants to do? If Jesus said, I will build my church, um, but the gates of hell and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to distract the church. Not only does he want to divide the church, he wants to distract the church. He wants the church to be involved in something that the church ought not to be involved in. Thirdly, prayer, and this is a little statement involved, but this is how I formulated it, so bear with me. Prayer builds the landing strip upon which the power of God can come down. Prayer builds the landing strip upon which the power of God can come down. You see, what we observe in the first century church before the power of God came down, they were praying. As a matter of fact, when they sought for the power of God, and here we read in Acts chapter 6, we see that the disciple says, hey, we must give ourselves 
continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Why did prayer come before preaching in the ministry of the word? Because they would not preach effectively unless they have bathed their ministry and their study in prayer. You see, they needed the power of God. And as they were preaching in the first of four chapters of the book of Acts, people were scratching their head. They were thinking, well, these are ignorant. They're unlearned men. They haven't studied in our best universities. They haven't sat under Gamaliel, the great teacher. Uh, they haven't been there. and They have not been taught by us. But then we, we, there's something peculiar about them. It looks that they have been with Jesus. Oh, may that be the description of this church. Then when people identify this church, say, it looks like these people have been in church a little too long. It looks like these people have been with Jesus. And so prayer builds the landing strip upon which the power of God comes down. Uh, you see, the devil wants to deprive the church. He wants to take away the power from the church. He wants to divide the church. He wants to distract the church. He wants to deprive the church. He says, no, don't busy yourself with prayer. Don't be involved. Don't go to the prayer meeting. It's not important. He wants to strip away the power from the church. And when we pray, is when we as God's people are seeking for His power. Understand that if this church is going to be built according to first century pattern, it's not going to be by my power or your power. It's going to be by the power of the Lord. Number four, prayer is an activity that defines the local church. When we ask ourselves, what does the first century, century church look like? I hope that if we travel all the way now to the 21st century, we say, well... Look, that looks just like the church in Acts. Now notice in Acts chapter 2. These people that were saved, they were baptized, they were added to the church. What did they do? Notice Acts chapter 2. Notice with me verse 41. Acts 2.41. Then after Peter preached, the Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. That's the order. First of all, you're saved. Then you're scripturally baptized. Then you're added unto the church in verse 40, 41. And there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. So notice the expression at the beginning of the verse. They continued steadfastly. You know what that means with intensity, with purpose, with an aim, with passion. They continued steadfastly in prayers. We ask ourselves, okay, let's go over to the first century. I wonder what that looked like. They were steadfast in prayer. They continued steadfastly in prayer. And I say to us, are we continuing steadfastly in prayer? That defines the church. That's what the church looks like. And so I say that the church that does not continually and steadfastly continue in prayer does not look like the first century church. You see, the devil wants to desecrate the church. You see, prayer keeps the church a pure place. A place where God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is held as the preeminent one. 
as He is constantly... Rec- Why do we begin our service in prayer? It's not because we do that out of a habit, because we recognize who God is, and that the reason why we are meeting here this morning is because of Him, because of what He's done for us, and because He is the one that deserves our praise. But now, today you have a, a bunch of churches who've just become some social organizations where they just meet and they leave and it just come, becomes kind of a, a yoga club or a breakfast club or a moose lodge or a Masonic lodge. That's all it is. And there's no prayer anymore. And they've lost their identity. You see, the devil wants to desecrate the church. But we keep going. We also find that prayer enables a congregation to stand out in the world. Now, in Acts chapter 2, we see that they continually and steadfastly continued in prayer. And notice what happens in chapter 2 and verse 43. Right after he mentions prayer, verse 43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common. Notice, fear came upon every soul. They were praying consistently. And you know what was happening in Jerusalem? People were starting to fear. Whoa. These people are serious over there. They not only go to church, they not only daily are involved in hearing the teaching and the preaching of God's Word, but they're praying all the time. Something must have happened to them. Now remember... Remember when Peter preached, he says, you have taken and by wicked hands crucified. And the Bible says on that day, those of them that heard were converted. No doubt there are people that are part of the church now in Acts chapter 2 who are continually giving themselves and praying in the name of Jesus Christ who had shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And now God changed their life. And people are looking at them it's like, wow, this is amazing. What, what has happened to these people? That they're constantly praying. You see, the devil wants to dilute the church. He doesn't want the church to stand out. He wants the church to become just like the world. That's what the devil wants. In appearance, in sound, in speech, so that the church is diluted. It no longer stands out in the world. And it is no longer a pure church. It blends in with everything else. And now you go to some churches, and it breaks my heart to see that churches look like today like nightclubs. It breaks our it should break our hearts. Number six, prayer emboldens the church to fulfill its responsibility no matter what the circumstances may be. Do you remember when the persecution arose? Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. Remember what they said? Don't teach and preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. Don't preach in His name. (laughs) Peter says, well, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We can't do that. So what did they do? Well, we've read in Acts chapter 3, well, back in Acts chapter 2, we find that they were... Uh, threatened, Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Remember what, they, what happened in Acts 4. Notice with me verse 23. So they were threatened, 
Then they were let go in Acts 4.23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. So what did they do? So they were threatened. They said, don't preach and teach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. And when they had heard that, so they went back to the church, their congregation, and they said, this is what we are told. And when the church as a whole heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. (laughs) Do you see the scene? These apostles have just been told, don't teach and preach in the name of Jesus Christ. They go back to the church and say, hey, we've just been told not to teach and preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And then every single person, everybody lifted up their voice and said, God. Now, what did they pray? Now, it is evident here in their prayer that they recognize who God was. Notice the prayer. Let's read. I think it will be good for us. Uh, Notice they said in verse 24, Lord, thou art God. That's a great way to start a prayer. Which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, And the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, they prayed. You see, prayer emboldens the church to fulfill its responsibility no matter what the circumstances may be. And we find here in verse 31, the Bible says, they spake the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness. God gave them boldness. In the face of what? Persecution. Don't teach and preach in the name of Jesus Christ. I commend Preachers around the world, and really no matter uh, whether they preach the gospel or not, but that leads to have uh, the, uh, the will, despite what the government may say, to say, we're going to preach and teach the word of God no matter what the authorities tell us. That's what God has told us. I commend preachers who have been in prison, who have paid fines for simply obeying the Lord. Don't we recognize that that's what the world needs today more than anything else? And while we have a government that wants to keep the liquor stores open but shut down the church, something is desperately wrong. And so, what is the church supposed to do? Pray. That's what the the first century church did. We're not going to shut down. We're not going to shut our mouth. We're not going to stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's all pray together and seek for the power of God. We need His power. We need boldness. You see, you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to discourage the church. You're not making a difference. You're not having an impact. And what we have found today, I think if anything in the last year has showed us, is how ineffective churches have been in our world. We have found out that people can go without the church. You know what the devil has done? He's discouraged the church. Prayer emboldens the church to continue to do the work of the Lord. We must move. Number seven, prayer is the priority of those who are given the responsibility of leadership in the church. 
Now we arrive at Acts chapter 6. And so we don't confuse the scene. We have already seen the church as a whole has been involved in prayer, and there's no doubt that that should not be done away with. But when we come to chapter 6, we are concerned with the leadership, the apostles who say, well, it is not reason that we should leave, uh, leave uh, the Word of God and serve tables. That means uh, give to the widows. And remember, in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, people were bringing money to the church and they were helping taking care of widows and people that had need in the church. Everybody had all things common, people who had need, their needs were taken care of. And now we come to the leadership position and the apostle says, well, it looks like we don't have enough time to do that. Uh, therefore, we will uh, have... Uh, uh, the deacons, and we'll see that later, but they elect deacons in the church to take care of those ministry needs. Because we have a priority, and our priority is to preach the word. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I say to us that the priority of those who are given responsibility of leadership in the church is prayer. If you ask it, Pastor... What do you spend your time doing? That's a good question. And my answer ought to be a biblical one. I should be studying the Word of God and praying. Preaching and teaching the Word of God. I do a lot of other things. But my priority is to pray. Pray for you. Pray for the work of God. Pray for myself. Pray as I study the Word of God that I may give you what you need. You see, we are in a culture that is drawn to personalities. That's the culture we live in. And people now, they don't select churches by whether it's a biblical church or not, but they select a church whether they like the personality of the leadership. Well, he makes me laugh, or he's friendly. Now, all those things are wonderful. But if that preacher does not spend adequate time in prayer, he is not fit to be a preacher. And I say this with reverence and godly fear, because God knows that it has been my failure as a pastor. that I have not given myself enough to prayer, to begging God for His power, to asking for God's help, to wanting to see the work of God go beyond. And often we try to do things in our own energy, in our own ability, and we have forsaken the power of God. You see, the devil wants to divest the church. He wants to rob the church of what the church needs the most. And that's the power of God. We also find number seven, prayer is what must always precede our service for the Lord. It is interesting that in chapter 6, verse 4, the apostle says we must give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so prayer comes before the ministry of the Word. In other words, the ministry of the Word should never take place unless it is bathed in prayer. You see, prayer is what must always precede our service for the Lord. We begin our service in prayer. When we meet on Saturday mornings to go out in the community for street evangelism, we begin that time in prayer. Why? Because we need God. 
We must never do the work of God without Him. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. And we must never think that we will build His church. Or that He will build our church. He will build His church. There's the last point I'd like to draw your attention. That is, prayer is the platform upon which the ministry of the Word will stand unmolested. Prayer is the platform upon which the ministry of the Word will stand unmolested. Why would they pray? Because they recognize the importance and the value of the ministry of the Word. And so if it is so valuable, and if they did this according to chapter 5, verse 42, daily, how much more should all of those sessions of public preaching and teaching be immersed and stand upon the foundation of prayer? You see, the devil wants to discredit the church. Bring us somebody up here that can tell us what we like, make us laugh, give us a little soliloquy to make us feel good about ourselves. A few years back I was doing Uber and I picked up this, this lady and I've had the opportunity to witness when I did that and I uh, picked up a lady who said she was a minister. And she uh, worked at uh, an Episcopal church down south in Delaware. And, and she says she's the minister that has been assigned to comfort those who are in their dying days. And I asked her, I said, what do you tell them? You know what she said? Well, I tell them that, you know, many of them have heard about hell and about God as a God of, you know, wrath, and he's going to judge their sins. And I just let them know that God loves them and there is no hell. Broke my heart. To think that this woman who claims to be a representative of God gives a message that is contrary to the word of God. And how can we keep our message unmolested from the world and from the influence of the world? It must stand upon the foundation of prayer. Because prayer, you know what prayer says? God, I want to please you. Not what I want to do, but what you want to do. I want to do your will, God. You see, prayer is absolutely vital and necessary for the church. And I believe that today in the 21st century, it is the church's greatest failure. Because the devil wants to divide the church. He wants to distract the church. He wants to deprive the church. He wants to desecrate the church. He wants to dilute the church. He wants to discourage the church. He wants to divest the church. He wants to destroy the church. And he wants to discredit the church altogether. I want to say to that woman who was a minister, what is your purpose anyways? If there is no hell... There's no judgment. It sounds like there's no God altogether. Why are you even serving Him? It sounds like and seems like you're like everybody else in the world who's lost, who doesn't know God's Word. 
You see, may the Lord help us. We want to, do we want to be like the first century church right here laid out in Acts chapter 1 through 6? I hope we do. Then prayer must be a vital part of the church.